Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Season two of La Brega was made possible by the Mellon Foundation, which seeks to build just communities enriched by meaning and empowered by critical thinking, where ideas and imagination can thrive. So as soon as we knew we were going to make the season of La Brega all about music, we knew we wanted to do an episode about love songs. Actually, every episode in this season is about love of one kind or another, love for the island, for our history, for our families. Then I was talking with Raquel Reichert. She's the deputy director at Refinery29 Somos. And she told me there's this one love song that totally shaped her and shaped a lot of the women in her life. It's I Wonder If I Take You Home by Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, released in 1985. It's about romance and intimacy. So yes, we're going to talk about sex. And for that reason, I want to give listeners the heads up. There's some frank talk in here that may not be suitable for younger listeners. Really. Here's Raquel with the story. It's a Friday in 1999, and I'm at Universal Skating Rink in East Orlando on teen night. I'm only nine years old, but my mom lets me sneak in and join my older brother to make sure he stays out of trouble. We're on a street called Goldenrod, where my family moved to from the Montañas de Moca four years earlier. On the rink and in the dance room, most of the teens look or sound like I do. We're young Puerto Rican transplants from the archipelago, New York, Jersey, Philly, and Chicago. And we're just trying to have a good time in our swampy new city. The DJ's sick, spinning hits from Puff Daddy and TLC. And then we hear those familiar horns. It's Cynthia and Johnny O's Dream Boy, Dream Girl. Immediately, the whole room starts singing a song that came out when most of us were in diapers. I wasn't even born when this Latin dance track dropped, but somehow I know it word for word. And in the eyes of this middle school and high school crowd, that makes me pretty cool. As the duo sings, tween girls dance together in a circle, young couples hide underneath the DJ booth to sneak in a quick makeout sesh, and others rush out of the dance room to the rink where they bust the grapevine, the moonwalk, and other skating tricks. In my experience, this is what happens when freestyle comes on. I don't know how music that my old-ass parents used to listen to back in Far Rockaway, Queens, is somehow the barometer of edge, but there's just something about those Spanish-accented stories of love and heartbreak sung over 808 claves that enliven us all. Freestyle music taught a generation of Boricuas about love and sex. And even more specifically, freestyle taught us, a bunch of Boricua girls in the South, to fight for our desires and our bodies. And we all had our anthem. One song that helped us navigate our relationships and sexual curiosities. From Futuro Studios and WNYC Studios, I'm Alana Casanova-Burgess. And I'm Raquel Reichard. And this is La Brega. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. 
In this episode, track four. I wonder if I take you home. Dear Lisa Lisa, I need some advice. More than 20 years since those nights at Universal Skating Rink, freestyle still plays a big role in my and my family's everyday life. That's mommy scolding me for picking the gandules out of the olla. I've been plucking the pigeon peas from her yummy yellow rice since I was a kid. And my parents have been hosting backyard floaty house parties like this one since before then. Papi, our resident DJ, makes sure the set includes salsa, merengue, and of course, freestyle. And mommy dances around the kitchen using cooking spoons as choreography props. It's wild to me that I, una bad bitch girl de los noventas, someone who grew up on the girl power of the Spice Girls, the female independence of Evie Queen, and the brazenness of Cardi B, still feels so liberated by this music from an era that came before me. And that other women do too. Freestyle just feels so... freeing. Freestyle is a feeling. It's been described as a sonic novella and an android descarga. But this doesn't make it any easier to explain. It's not hip-hop, it's not totally pop, and it's not even house. But it's kind of like a prima to all of these genres. I think house music is like four on the four. Like there's this constant boom, 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 boom. That's Louis Ortiz Fonseca, a freestyle historian and artist. Where um, I think freestyle, to describe it sonically, like doom, 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 doom. Like you hear um, the snare. While there's not one singular freestyle beat, there are a few key ingredients that go into a freestyle track. I think about freestyle musically as a cousin to what salseros are doing, right? Nick Lopez Rodriguez is a DJ and performance studies scholar. We have timbales, we have the, the synths and the rhythm, but then we have what we see in salsa music, which is like sometimes my favorite, which is the keyboard break, right? There's always sort of a bridge or hook with a keyboard. You hear that in freestyle music, but it's gonna be with a synthesized keyboard. Freestyle was originally called Latin hip-hop, and it was co-created by the same communities, Caribbean and Black American youth in the Bronx. The beats are similar to early hip-hop, but the delivery is different. To put it simply, hip-hop artists rap about what happens on the streets. Freestyle artists sing about what happens in their hearts. Louis describes it as music from the same block, just different sides of the avenue. The beats and the rhythms were very much similar to sounds that are from your parents' records and your cassettes. So there's that familiarity as well, those Latin beats, so to speak. That's Stacy, who grew up on my block in East Orlando. She arrived to the neighborhood in 1982, nearly a decade before the first mass migration of Puerto Ricans to the area. And part of what made freestyle music so enticing for her was that it connected her to a city where diasporic Puerto Rican culture boomed. Nueva York. 
with the moves like breakdancing, you know, it all came together and it was just this perfect package of New York, good looks, good beats, confidence, wiling out. There's no other word to describe it. It was cool. <laughs> and we <laughs> wanted to be cool too. <laughs> What made this genre so dope for her was that it was performed mostly by second-generation Puerto Rican teenage girls who sang, danced, and looked incredible. Singers like Judy Torres, the cover girls, and one of the flyest, New Yorican vocalist Lisa Velez, also known as Lisa Lisa. These artists had a sound and look that everyone wanted to emulate. Sexy, daring, and colorful. Just the, the looks that these girls had, bright colors and eyeshadows and lipstick. For us today, it would seem like it's gaudy, but it's, it just all worked and was put together in a way that if you're a young girl like me, you're looking, oh man, like I want to look like that. I get what she means. I wanted to look like that too. Bold, confident, free. As a young person, watching and listening to these women sing about crushes, heartache, and sex felt liberating. I grew up in a Pentecostal home. While my mother didn't force me to wear long denim skirts or forbid me from rocking jewelry like her mom did, my life as a girl still felt constricted in so many other ways. During my adolescent years, mommy and I were besties always side by side. We would spend entire weekends curled up under sabanas on the sofa, watching those classic 90s made-for-TV movies. You know the ones. To us, they were all about the dramatic lives of white women and their children. On the screen, I saw a reality way different from my own. Parents talking to their kids about sex and contraceptives, and young people having sex. Lots of it, and everywhere. My mom and I, we could talk about shopping, school, even race and police harassment. But SEX? That was a topic of discussion that mommy and I did not touch. Those rare moments when it had come up at church or home, I was taught that teen dating leads to sex. And female sexuality? is sinful. So I rarely expressed my crushes, didn't have many boyfriends, and was scared to death of sex. Your girl was shook about everything. If I had a so-called impure thought or experienced arousal of any kind, I would cry myself to sleep, begging God not to condemn me to hell for all eternity. I avoided holding hands because I thought it would lead to pop kissing. And if I kissed someone, it was a wrap. I broke up with them immediately because that made me one step closer to having sex. The message at church and home was clear. My body was not my own. To me, the women of freestyle broke free from all the expectations that were still tearing me apart. And that didn't just make them cool. It made them courageous powerful, and inspiring. They dressed and danced in ways that made them feel good, and they went after all the things that they wanted, even if that meant breaking the rules. And there was one song in particular that guided us all. 
I Wonder If I Take You Home by Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam, which along with Lisa Lisa included members Alex Spanador Mosley and Mike Hughes. This is Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes. And Espanador. In 1985, Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam appeared on American Bandstand. Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam. The same year MTV debuted I Wonder If I Take You Home as the first ever Latin hip hop music video. Stunning in a fluorescent pink headband and a curve-hugging off-shoulder jumpsuit with parachute bottoms, there were few, if any, acts hotter than Lisa Lisa. No one, not Madonna, Cindy Lauper, or Debbie Harry, could rival this Puerto Rican teen girl from House Kitchen. And I just remember we were all kind of in awe. We were all in awe. Like, oh, wow. Michelle Cortez and her family moved from Brooklyn to Long Island in 1985, where they enjoyed cable TV for the first time. One of her most memorable moments in her new home was watching that MTV debut of I Wonder If I Take You Home. I mean, now you see women in videos and, you know, everyone's got a big ass and tatas and all that. But back then, you know, you had to be skinny, man. You really had to be like a a rail, you know, to, to be on television. And she was not that. Yeah, she had a body body. It was like, all right, well, she's one of us. And, you know, it was nice. It was really nice. And then there were the lyrics. Bold, relatable, and autonomous. Here was a young Puerto Rican woman singing about her sexual desires without shame. I wonder if I take you home, would you still be in love, baby? Because I need you tonight. tonight. (laughs) In one chorus, she expressed what women needed to hear, even if the media, the church, and our education system didn't want to tell us. Women want to have sex, too. But we have to weigh that decision against real-life possibilities. Your partner hitting and quitting, unwanted pregnancies, sexually transmitted infections, revenge porn, or simply being labeled la sucia of the block. So instead of just giving into her partner's pleas, Lisa Lisa advocates for herself, saying it's on her time or not at all. Even though these conversations weren't happening in the home, Freestyle came out of a decade when women were gaining more agency over their bodies and fighting for access to public health. In the 1970s, the Puerto Rican-led community organization, the Young Lords, had centered healthcare in their struggle for community empowerment. In the South Bronx, they famously occupied Lincoln Hospital in July 1970 and even made a point of highlighting women's care there. What we want this rally for is to express our desire to have community worker control of Lincoln Hospital, a hospital that for some time has been condemned. Paint is chipping from the emergency room. Our uncles, our grandmothers, our mothers have died in that hospital, and nobody has pushed. Meanwhile, Dr. Helen Rodriguez-Trias, a New Yorkian public health expert, helped to establish protections for marginalized women who were targeted for sterilizations, like requiring patients to sign consent forms. This is Dr. Trias in the 1982 documentary, La Operación. 
sterilization has been pushed really internationally as a way of population control. And there is a difference between population control and birth control. By the end of the decade, feminist groups in Puerto Rico celebrated two big wins. A new government agency called the Commission for Women's Affairs and Law 54, which outlawed domestic violence. Puerto Rican women everywhere were taking control over their bodies, their hearts, and their lives, at home and through politics. And soon enough, in nightclubs too. Throughout the 1980s, there was a boom in culture pushing songs about love and sex, most of them from a white woman's POV. But freestyle was deeply rooted in Latina self-advocacy and sexual agency. It was empowering, even liberating. As Stacy says, To have these young women saying, you know, singing these songs and dressing their, how they are, and even staying out late at the club singing the songs, you know, for an audience. I mean, to me, that's like, like, get it, girl. And if I were making a mixtape to help me get into my own get it, girl energy... I'd include starter tracks like Naomi's Please Don't Go, where she calls out fragile masculinity. The cover girls show me for demanding respect and receipts. Karina's Temptation. Because she sings about ditching her man for someone who treats her and, let's be real, fucks her better. And of course, Lisa Lisa's I Wonder If I Take You Home because she keeps it 100 about her sexual desires. And the music was fire. These vocalists from the diaspora and their self-assured lyrics made their way down the Atlantic coast, crossed the Caribbean, where they also became hits in Puerto Rico, inspiring young women despite language barriers. This is the mom of my friend Stephanie Pinero. Her name, as luck would have it, is Lisa. Growing up in Toa Baja, Puerto Rico, in the 1980s, Lisa discovered freestyle music through a neighbor and became obsessed with the genre especially Lisa Lisa. Y eso era algo bien grande en Puerto Rico. Steph and I haven't known each other long, but we've gotten close over the last four years. We've bonded over our feminist work, growing up as Puerto Rican girls in the South with a shared love of alligators, and surprise, freestyle. Like in my house, freestyle music often blasted from Steph's childhood home in Jacksonville, Florida. Her mom, Lisa, used to murmur the words while cleaning. These songs transport Lisa back to her teenage years. At the time, there just wasn't anything like it. A fierce Boricua gal singing in English? It was huge. It was exciting. Even if Lisa couldn't understand the lyrics yet. But the rhythm spoke for itself. The music was hot. And the makeup, hairstyles, and fashion were just as fresh. We're talking lots of neon. This 
These songs that Lisa didn't entirely understand became the soundtrack to her romantic life as a teenage girl. Crushes, dating, and sex. She was dating a boy when Lisa Lisa's I Wonder If I Take You Home made its way to Puerto Rico. It's a song that she refers to as an anthem for her, for very, very personal reasons. After the break, how freestyle and this Lisa Lisa jam holds a special, intimate memory for Lisa and generations of other women. This is La Brega. Stay with us. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birgit Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Bosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hello, this is Rainao. And this is Ife. And you're listening to La Brega. This is La Brega. I'm Alana Casanova-Burgess. Writer Raquel Reichert has a special place in her heart for freestyle music. And turns out, she's not alone. There are generations of Boricua women who grew up on the sounds, styles, and stories found in freestyle. Like her friend's mom, Lisa. Raquel picks it up from here. Freestyle offered Lisa a sort of roadmap to her early love life, identity, and sexuality. But it was I Wonder If I Take You Home, an anthem to sexual agency, that provided a young Lisa the scoring to one of the most intimate moments of her life. Fue como un himno para mí, because fue cuando yo perdí mi virginidad. So that was Lisa, very casually sharing a secret. So, okay, so. A secret that not even her daughter, my friend Stephanie, knew about her. Okay, so to recap, so you're saying, I wonder when I take you home Mm -hmm. was the song that the person you lost your virginity to had on replay and played over and over and over. Over and over and over. And you remember. Esa canción me llevó a eso. It reminds you of that moment. Yeah, I remember that moment. And it was a moment that you don't forget. Like exactly what you were wearing. So you wore a corduroy skirt. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly where and when it happened. Obvio. It was in my aunt's house, right? But no, no, listen. This is not actually inside the house. In her house, it was a little house next to her, right? It was something you can get it in, in under under the house. And it was under the house. What? It was under the house. You made it work. Yeah. Yes. You and your corduroy skirt. Yeah. That bitch. <laughs> And what Lisa yes. would never forget was what was playing when it happened. Remember, Lisa didn't understand the words to this song when she was, well, 
taking someone home. But a few years later, after living in Jacksonville and learning English, she heard it again. And she was floored. So you understood when you were married and you had kids already. That's when you finally understood what that song meant. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. This motherfucker know this. Because <laughs> he knew. He knew what it meant. He knew what it meant. It wasn't me that I don't know, but he knew. <laughs> I've, I've never heard this. And me and my mom are pretty close. Like, I know a lot of the stories. But I didn't know that one. <laughs> I didn't know that story. But Steph knows a lot of other stories. She knows about Lisa's past boyfriends, drunken nights at Vico C concerts, and that when Lisa was 25 years old, she opted for sterilization over other forms of birth control that made her ill. For generations in Puerto Rico and in the U.S., the bodies of Puerto Rican women were used for birth control experiments, from pills to jellies to sterilization. In the 1950s, the first large-scale human trial of the birth control pill was carried out in impoverished neighborhoods in Puerto Rico. U.S.-based physicians, scientists, and government officials coerced women into receiving certain contraceptives and even sterilization, many without their informed consent. For decades, sterilization was encouraged there, and it became one of the most accessible forms of birth control available to Puerto Rican women. While it's not anymore, it remains one of the few options women know intimately and thus choose. By the 1970s, over a third of Puerto Rican women of childbearing age had been sterilized. In Puerto Rico, una de cada tres mujeres en edad de procrear ha sido esterilizada. Tan común es el método que se le conoce simplemente como la operación. It was so common that it was known simply as la operación, the operation. For Lisa, mothering four young children in an unfamiliar city away from her family in Puerto Rico Sterilization felt like the best decision for her, and one that other women in her family made as well. My tía was sterilized, too. My grandmother, she took birth control in the 70s, and it failed her, and my mom was born, and it made her feel very sick. So the context that I have is that the reproductive health services that are available to us in our socioeconomic status and level were not good. They were not things that empowered somebody to have agency over those decisions. This is actually something I knew about my mom, too. She was also sterilized in her 30s. I was a teen, and all I knew was that the procedure that left her bedridden for weeks would stop her from having babies. I didn't know what the operation entailed or why she decided on it. We never talked about those things. We weren't supposed to. It was weird, though. In so many ways, my mom was my best friend. I spent more time with her than anyone else. We laughed and talked about so much while shopping, watching TV, and cooking together. 
But there were certain topics that I knew, or maybe that I just thought, were off limits. And that included the ever-terrifying sex conversations. So when I was 19, in love for the first time, and realizing that sex was something I wanted to explore with my partner, and maybe even something that I was okay risking purgatory for, I didn't know who to talk to about it. Then, one spring day, I was in the kitchen with my mom when a familiar voice came blasting through our home speakers. There, in the kitchen, I blurted out, Damn, she's so right. My mom was at the stove cooking her ensalada de papa, and to my surprise, she said, She sure is. My mommy, the one who dressed me in my Sunday best for hours-long servicios, turned to me and said something like, That's why you have to be sure about your decision. You don't do it for the man. You do it for yourself. So whether they stay or go, you don't feel bad about yourself. Damn, that was a holy word. Lisa Lisa wasn't the only one who understood me. Apparently, mommy did too. After years of feeling like I couldn't talk with my mom about sex, I wonder if I take you home was the spark. When I finally started getting busy, my mom and I began talking even more about sex. And we haven't stopped talking since. The song invited us to start speaking freely and openly about pleasure, masturbation, fantasies, birth control, all of it. I'm not kidding. My mom knows more about my sex life than most of my closest friends. 13-year-old me would have never believed this. Stephanie and her mom, Lisa, have a similar thing going on. And this song helps Steph make sense of the woman who raised her. I have always wondered where my mom came from. My mom has always been just free. She has always, like, she dressed her own way. She dropped out of school when she was 15. She moved out of her parents' house when she was 15. Knowing that these songs were the songs, like, the soundtrack to that mo- those moments in her life. She saw what Lisa Lisa was wearing. She was like, oh, I could rock that. I could kill that. Had my mom not had those experiences, I would not be the woman that I am right now. Today, Stephanie is the executive director of Florida Access Network, the only queer, women-of-color-led abortion fund in the state. So much of her work centers on expanding reproductive justice and bodily autonomy. Part of destigmatizing abortion has also been really addressing and destigmatizing sex. And for Steph, a lot of this music that her mother listened to and that she now also blasts from her car radio in Orlando was about sexual autonomy. Young people deserve to feel sexually liberated too and deserve not to feel stifled and ashamed um, for being human beings, which like having sex and feeling sexual feelings is part of the human experience. For many of us, freestyle music speaks to these questions and conversations that come up during Latina girlhood. The lyrics to these songs sound like bedroom chisme among homegirls. Each track is a diary entry of a time in a girl's life. It's our stories, in our words, and on our terms. 
It's a coming-of-age tale where we are the subjects, not the objects. And like girlhood, freestyle has often been derided as frivolous and trivial. I find it interesting that the songs that are sort of about the desires of, of Black and brown women specifically and the longings and the yearnings of Black and brown women were seen as not substantive. That's Nick Lopez Rodriguez again, the DJ and scholar. And yet they were also the same women who were the backbones of caretaking the results of a lot of these sociopolitical conditions that were happening at a time, right? And so like freestyle music was the only music in which women explore these complicated thoughts of like human interaction. Dismissed as trivial chatter among Puerto Rican street kids, freestyle's popularity began to wane in the 90s, with some music experts citing its all-out death in 1995. Because a lot of freestyle songs, at their core, they're about love, right? And so I think that people don't find it substantive because we see, we see these as like frivolous, frivolous things. But that's also how we see women in our society, right? We see the sort of lives and the interpersonal lives of women as, as frivolous. And again, like I would argue to say the leaders of freestyle were black and brown women. But if freestyle died, you wouldn't know it walking around Orlando. Here, freestyle thrives. Those 808 Glaves blast from cars carrying mini Puerto Rican flags on their rearview mirrors from east to west colonial. Nightclubs and brunch spots host freestyle Fridays and freestyle-themed costume parties. Women pair their rhinestone-encrusted bustiers with Yankee fittings. Men sport tees that read, Real Men Listen to Freestyle. And artists come to perform at least once every two months, filling up small venues and huge stadiums. Orlando is now home to one of the largest and fastest-growing Puerto Rican populations in the country. The preservation of this genre could be interpreted as simply nostalgia, but for us, it's so much more. So, inspired by the ways freestyle bonds people together, my friend Steph and I devise a plan. Our moms haven't had many girlfriends since their young adult years, so we've been talking about parent-trapping them into homegirls for about a year. The Meet Cute, Elisa Lisa concert. Obvio. They started so late. They never start on time. In this car, there are two generations of adult Puerto Rican women. Single 30-somethings who were raised in Florida and our married 50- and 60-year-old mommies from the archipelago. And of course, we're running fashionably late. So let's hope the DJ starts at 8. Right, right, right. In Mommy's SUV, there are fluorescent pink headbands, black lace gloves, long red acrylic nails, and black tights that still have the price tag attached to them. Because in true senora form, the fits will be returned after tonight. The car ride feels reminiscent of a typical girls' night. We're dishing juicy girl talk, like when Lisa talks about how every song reminds her of a different guy she dated. And I decide to reveal a secret to my mom. Our 
girls haven't even known each other for an hour, but they're already chatting about makeup, laughing at sex stories, and gushing about their daughters. For these three hours, we're like teenage BFFs, and we are ready and excited for this performance. Lisa Lisa, the woman who helped strengthen these cross-generational relationships. Luckily, we arrive right on time. Because of you, we old schoolers still have a stage to perform on, so thank you so, so much. The Hard Rock Live in Hollywood, Florida, fits 7,000 people. And this place is packed. People drove from all around the state to sing along with heavy hitters like Lisa Lisa. As soon as the now 56-year-old star hits the stage in a cleavage-bearing black leather two-piece, it's clear that Lisa Lisa has had a similar impact on many of the other women in this venue. And when our anthem comes on, the four of us, like thousands of others that night, sing every single word. That's Raquel Reichert. Now, before we wrap up this episode, we've got one more tribute to Lisa Lisa. You've heard me talking about the album of covers we're making of the songs in the series. And for this one, we turn to an artist who also puts desire, autonomy, and feminism front and center. I'm Rainau, and I'm a Puerto Rican artist. We asked Rainau to collaborate with Ife, who, yes, composed our theme song and really thinks hard about percussion. I took the basis of the the beat of the song. It's similar to a rhythm that we use in salsa sometimes it's called oriza and i'm using uh you know traditional progression like shakeres uh, maraca or clave and things that you would use you know inside of rumba as a puerto rican i have those rhythms in my veins <laughs> it made me feel like this cover was home I feel very lucky to discover new things in music, challenge myself. It's been a very cool experience. You can listen to the rest of Right Now and Ife's cover in March when we release the La Brega cover album. This episode was written by Raquel Reichert. 
It was edited by Mark Pagan and produced by Joaquin Cutler, with support from Liliana Ruiz, Tasha Sandoval, and Ezequiel Rodriguez-Andino. Original art for this episode is by Mia Pagan. Excuse me, Alana. Just wanted to thank Zoe Colón, Ángel Vendrell, Jackie and Emily Diaz, Richie Rosario, Cynthia Torres, DJ Dominic, and my mommy and papi. The La Brega team includes Ginny Montalvo, Ezequiel Rodriguez-Andino, Joaquin Cutler, Liliana Ruiz, Tasha Sandoval, Mark Pagan, Maria Garcia, Victor Ramos Rosado, Juan Diego Ramirez, Marlon Bishop, and Jenny Lawton. Fact-checking this season is by Istra Pacheco and Maria Soledad. Our engineer is Joe Plord. Our theme song is by Ife. Original music is by Balloon. This season of La Brega was made possible by the Mellon Foundation. And next week, we're going to take a break. Just picture us working away on our next episode, track five, Las Caras Lindas. That'll drop the following week, March 2nd. In the meantime, if you're new to La Brega, might I suggest going back and listening to season one? We've got eight great episodes for you to catch up on, all available in English and Spanish. There's a Cold War spy story about betrayal, a David and Goliath face-off with the U.S. on the basketball court, and so much more, including a singing grandmother who can't get enough of Bad Bunny. If you're new to our show, welcome and enjoy. See you back here in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.